you for joining us in the message entitled, Humbly I Pray, which is part 10 of Mission Possible, a series on spiritual warfare. is a great and mighty God. Amen. Praise God. Aren't you glad you heard about Jesus? Praise the Lord. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. Then a little light from heaven filled my soul. Amen. Made my heart in love and wrote my name above. Just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Amen. That's an old one from way back. Just came into my mind. Must have been the Holy Ghost. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles. How many of you know that song, huh? Hey, man, there's some old folks here. No, you don't know that song? <laughs> young, young, older folks. Who wants to join me in a quartet and we'll sing it? No. <laughs> Well, if I can get through this, bless God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit here this morning. Yeah. Amen. Children, you can be dismissed for Children's Church. And uh, I'll have my own personal revival up here, and y'all can just hang on, and I'll get there when I can. Amen. I'm talking about to the Word. So today, I, I, my plan is to uh, conclude this series that we've been doing on Mission Possible, on uh, spiritual warfare. I hope that what I've been teaching on, preaching on, has been useful to you and helpful. Um, I hope it hasn't bored you to tears. Amen. <laughs> I hope it has been informative and instructive, and somehow it's maybe been enlightening to you and inspirational. Um, some way it's been an encouragement to you, edified you. That was certainly my intention. Um, I believe that God truly directs the steps of those who seek Him. Yeah. Amen. Do you believe that? Yeah. Well, the Bible says that He directs, directs the steps of the righteous or the good men. And... Um, I try to seek the Lord, so I, I believe that God directs my steps. And uh, as a result of that, I believe that God wanted you to know the nature of the war that we do face. Folks, because we do face this war. Every living human being faces a spiritual battle. Um, unfortunately, some people, they don't have Jesus Christ in their heart to face that battle in the Spirit. I'm talking about in, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but every person faces that battle, and I believe that God wanted you to know the nature of the battle that you're facing. Um, that Satan wants to take away your freedom. And uh, he wants to place you into bondage. The Bible says that Jesus came to set you free. Amen? Yes, well, if he came to set you free, Satan is just a, the opposite of Jesus, and he wants to put you into bondage and keep you there. Uh, and if he occupies the strongholds in your mind, he will control you. Because whoever controls the mind controls the man. Amen? And so the battle that uh, is being forged, it's, it's real, folks. It's real and it is being fought by real forces that are among us. Uh, because there is a spirit realm. And in that spirit realm, there is a battle going on between uh, the, the angelic host of God and the demonic forces of, uh, of, the, of the enemy. 
And so to survive this war, I believe that God wanted us to know that you have to put on the whole armor of God. And so uh, we, need, we need to understand that that all begins with truth. I mean, Jesus said that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so we need to understand that it all begins with the truth. And as a result of that, we put on His righteousness. And we're made right before God. Um, with that, we get peace uh, that comes with us. And that, in that peace, we are able to go out and share that gospel with other people. And so God wanted us to know that's a part of His armor. We do all of this through faith. You know, the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Amen? That means those of you that have been justified. Anybody in here been justified? If you've been saved, you've been justified. That means just if I'd never sinned. So we've all been justified, and the Bible says that those that are justified or the just shall live by faith. But it doesn't end there. I mean, we put on the shield of, uh, we have the shield of faith, we put on the breastplate of righteousness, but we also have to have the helmet of salvation, which is a continual working out, a part of our salvation, by the renewing of our mind. And this is all done through the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God that separates this mind from the Spirit. The things that are living, the marrow, from the things that just work, the joints. And it discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart. So I believe that God has directed this series because if we are to stand in the evil day, you're going to have to know these things, folks. And you're going to have to know how to put them into practice. So I took that, uh, I didn't even know where I was going to go with this. I just felt in my heart, God said, teach on spiritual warfare and I want you to go step by step. So I just kicked it off. I, I mean, each week God would tell me the next step to take. I didn't have a plan and execute that plan. God has directed the steps one step at a time. So we started out with the objective, talking about freedom, that Jesus came to make us free. Then we talked about Satan's plan to occupy the stronghold. He wants to control your mind so he can control you. But God also has a plan. He gives us the weapons that we need to pull down those strongholds. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. Because the weapons of our warfare are not natural or carnal, but they are mighty through God to pull down those strongholds. Then we looked at the forces that surround us and had a, the reality of these angelic beings that are around us. And we found out that they fight on our behalf. They ministered to Jesus when He was weak. They went and delivered Peter from prison. They delivered Paul and Silas. They delivered the three Hebrew children from the fiery furnace. Are you hearing me, church? And folks, they still fight for us today. We also found out that there are demonic powers out there, but we do not have to fear them. They are a defeated foe. And that you and I have authority over them when we invoke the name of Jesus. And so therefore we needed to take the weapons of our warfare that God gives us. And we went into Ephesians chapter 6. We talked about being uh, girded with the belt of truth, taking on the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, our helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And today we're going to look at the seventh and the final weapon that's listed 
in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you want to look with me one more time, we're going to read our foundational text. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that herein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father God, we come before you in Jesus' name. God, we ask you today, open our ears, Lord. Open our eyes, Father. And open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the seventh weapon that's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 is actually prayer. We don't typically think of that as a weapon, but it is a very powerful weapon. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man, it avails much. And we can see through prayer that great things have been accomplished. Uh, So it is a weapon. Uh, I see four main points that Paul points out in this particular weapon in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, first of all, that you are to pray continually. Other places in the Bible, it tells us to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that you kneel down, bow your head, and close your eyes. It's kind of hard to do that and drive a car. (laughs) You know, but it means to stay in an attitude of prayer. How many of you stay in an attitude of prayer? I'm constantly thinking about the things of God. That's true. And... Constantly listening to what the Lord has to say. Sometimes we're doing all the talking and we don't do a whole lot of listening. But we found out, and I I do believe this is true, that prayer is a dialogue. It's not a monologue. I don't do all the talking and God does all the listening. And and John Bevere pointed this out. And whether it's true revelation or not, I I can't say. I, I believe that it is. He said that he was in prayer one day and God stopped him in the middle of his prayer and said, John, is prayer a monologue or a dialogue? And he thought about it. He said, well, it's a dialogue. In other words, I talk and God talks back to me. Because the Bible says that his sheep know his voice. Apparently, he's talking to me. Hello. Amen. Uh, and he says, another shepherd they will not follow. Um, and so he says, yeah, Lord, it's a, it's a dialogue. He said, didn't I tell you to pray without ceasing? He's like, yes, sir, you did. And if it's a dialogue, then I then am I not speaking to you without ceasing as well? And he said it was a revelation to him. And I thought about that. I'm like, wow. 
God's trying to say something to you. Amen? Amen. And so, um, we need to pray continually. Um, and it, I, I thought, is that something we can do? I'm like, you know, can we drive down the road and pray? <laughs> well, you don't close your eyes and bow your head, but you probably could. <laughs> I mean, people ride down the road and text message other people. <laughs> Amen? And it's, isn't it funny how we can always find time to call somebody on our cell phone or text somebody on our cell phone? I just wonder how much it would add to our prayer life if we took 10% of that time and talked to God. Think about that for a second. Would that increase your prayer life? Don't raise your hand. Think of how much you talk, you're on the cell phone or on the computer or text. You're communicating with someone. If we just gave God a prayer tithe, How much would that increase our prayer life? That's not even in my notes. Hallelujah. That's right. Straight from the throne, brother. (laughs) A prayer tithe. That's a provoking thought. Think about it just a minute. If your best friend, every time you call them, they never took your phone call. You text them, they never text you back. Send them a message on Facebook. They never commented. If you walked up and started talking to them and they began to talk to somebody else, what would that do to you? How would you feel about that? The person you love and you wanted to communicate with them, but they never have time for you. But they've got time for everything else and everybody else. Can you just imagine that maybe that's how God sees our relationships sometimes? Because we're doing all this communicating with other people. We never seem to find time to talk to the one who died for me. Wow, that's pretty convicting. Especially when he told me, I want you to talk to me continually, without ceasing. The second thing he points out in there is that it's mainly intercessorial. In other words, he said, praying always for all the saints. And when I look at biblical examples of prayer, most of the prayers prayed were for other people. You know, but a lot of times our prayer is usually, Oh God, help me. Lord, deliver me from this and me, me, my, my, I, I. And how much... I'm not trying to condemn you or convict you this morning. I'm just giving you some provoking thoughts because usually that's what I do. Man, I, I am my own worst critic, believe me. And so what I'm asking you, really, I ask myself quite often. How much prayer do I really lift up for other things and other people? Uh, And not just myself. Because the weapon that he's pointing out here, the prayer that he's pointing out, look at it again in verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Well, that does include you. I mean, you are a saint. Amen. If you've been sanctified, that means you've been set apart by Jesus Christ. If you got saved, you were sanctified. Amen. So that means you are a saint. And so, um, yeah, you can pray for yourself. But what he's pointing out here is that we really need to be praying for other people most of the time. 
And so the first two points is we need to pray continually. It needs to be intercessorial, interceding for other people. Uh, but the last two of the two I really want to spend some time on and focus on this morning because they sort of really jumped out at me. Um, the last two points about the prayer being used as a weapon of our warfare is, number one, the attitude of our prayer. He said it needs to be done with perseverance and with supplication. And also the source of our prayer, he said it needs to be done in the Spirit. He said praying also with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So what does that mean, praying in the Spirit? Let's look at that first of all. You need to note also that he said that not only are we to pray in the Spirit, but we are to watch in the Spirit. And I caught that. I'm like, wait a minute. We're to pray in the Spirit. And he said, and also watch thereunto. Watch, what does that mean? It means watch in the Spirit. In other words, we need to be praying, God, help me. See if this sounds familiar. Help me, Lord, see beyond the smile on people's face and seeing what's in their heart. I want to see the cry of their heart. Anybody ever heard that prayer before? Oh, you should have if you've been around because I pray that constantly in our church. God, help us, Lord, to look beyond the smiling face and see what's in people's hearts because we typically put on our best face when we come to church. And generally we ask folks, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, first of all, we probably need to repent for lying sometimes because sometimes we're not really doing so fine, you know. Um, but we figure, well, they really don't want to hear about my problem, you know. And sometimes they don't. I mean, there's a time and a place for things, but sometimes you need to say, you know what, have you got a minute? I don't mean to burden you with this, but I'm not going to tell you I'm doing fine because honestly, I've got a situation and I really, really need to talk to somebody. You know, or maybe you don't want to give them the details, but I've got a situation and can you just lift me up in prayer? You know, uh, but people won't do that. Will we? I mean, we're very private people a lot of times and our problems are very personal. Sometimes we don't want to tell anybody. Sometimes we don't feel like we can entrust that to them. So if we are genuinely concerned about someone and we really do have the love of God towards our brethren. Sometimes the only way we're going to know that is to see in the Spirit. So that we can therefore pray in the Spirit. And so he's saying, look, I want you to pray in the Spirit, but I want you also to watch in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication for the saints. Uh, because I can pray for you with my own understanding and my, in my own heart. But what I pray then is limited. It's limited knowledge and it's limited understanding. But when the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to lead my prayer, then I will pray with the mind of God. And I will begin to pray things for you that I would not otherwise know. I've seen that happen, folks. I've had that happen when people have prayed for me. I have prayed for people before and have no idea what's going on with them or in their situation. And just begin to pray a general prayer and the Holy Spirit would just begin to move and say, pray about this and pray about that. I've seen that happen with some of you. I've heard you pray prayers and God would begin to give you things to pray about that weren't a part of your thought patterns. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here this morning? 
And as you begin to pray, you realize the Holy Spirit is giving me direction to pray for this person. But what you don't realize is they're standing there thinking, that's exactly what I'm going through. How did they know that? That's exactly what I've been thinking. And it's a witness in the Spirit that God cares enough about them to speak to you about their problem. And it's a weapon that pulls down the strongholds that they're facing when they're at a point where they're weak and they can't help themselves. And sometimes, folks, we need the prayers of the saints to hold us up because we can't stand alone. And if we're in a church full of people that are not spiritually minded people, but folks, we're sunk. But thank God that we have the Holy Spirit and He's real and He moves in our midst and He helps us to see in the Spirit and He helps us to know the mind of God so that somebody that's got a problem that is so deep and troubling and so personal that they can't share it with anybody, they don't have to because we watch in the Spirit and therefore pray in the Spirit and we can pray down the power of God in their situation and see God just setting them free. I've seen that happen time and time again. I'm praying, God, give us another prayer tunnel one day. Hallelujah. I won't do it unless God says to do it. But twice we've done that, and I understand the youth did it a few weeks back. And if it, people don't know what I'm talking about, uh, this is something they used to do at Brownsville uh, periodically. Uh, it's where you have people that you just trust their discernment and trust their direction in the spirit and you just ask them part of the leadership of the church and you like make two lines like a like a boy scout belt line anybody know what that is <laughs> there used to be a thing with the boy scouts you pull your belt off and it was initiation you run through the line and they were swacking you you know boys you know boys will be boys well it's kind of like that but we're whacking you with the spirit man and i mean you're getting prayer and and you start at one end and you come through and 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 i usually like to get at the end of it i'm selfish that way you know because I like to see what God's doing as they're coming down through the prayer tunnel there. And my goodness, you have never in your life seen. Oh, it's just amazing what God does. And it's because you just step out in faith. It's like, I'm here for one reason. I'm here to bless you. And you begin to pray for people. And God just begins to do things and give people words of knowledge and words of wisdom and prophetic utterance and all kinds of things has come out every time we, well, both times that we've done that. And it is pretty amazing. And I've, I had people come and I would begin to pray for them. And just the vivid, clear, specific word that God would give me to pray over people, I just knew the Holy Spirit was moving. And we were praying in the Spirit. And I believe that's what that is talking about. In fact, it is what it is talking about. Praying in the Spirit. Um. Praying in the Spirit can also mean uh, what the Bible refers to as praying in your heavenly language or in the heavenly language. Uh, most of you that have been around full gospel churches or Pentecost, you understand uh, what that is referring to. Uh, in Jude chapter 1, verse 20, there is only one chapter in Jude, by the way. Just, but in, Jude chapter, uh, in Jude verse 20, he says, But you, beloved... Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, what that's talking about is when you pray in the heavenly language that Paul talks about in the church of Corinth. The heavenly language that the 120 received on the day of Pentecost. 
The Bible says that it edifies you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, it says, For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Verse 4, he says, He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So praying in the Spirit can be praying with the direction of God, a specific prayer for a specific person. And it also means praying in a language that we haven't learned, the heavenly language. Paul says it in Romans, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's see, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak with both the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I become a tinkling brass and a sounding cymbal. But what he's pointing out there is that there is a language that is known to all men. But there is another language that is known to the angels. The tongues of both men and angels. So there is a language we see throughout the New Testament that is a heavenly, what we call a heavenly language, or the, we refer, refer to it as praying in the Spirit. Uh, because praying in the Spirit sometimes means allowing the Spirit of God to pray when you just don't know what to pray. I heard my wife this morning, she was praying an intercessory prayer. Oh God, please God, move in Louisa, move in Goochland. God, move in Central Virginia. And then I just heard her begin to groan because it's like I can't express with words what I'm calling out and crying out for here, God. And the Bible talks about that. It says also in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In Romans chapter 8, he says it this way, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, or that means our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So praying in the Spirit, it can mean being directed in your prayer for a person, but it also means praying in a language that God gives to His church. Now, folks, look this way and listen. On the day of Pentecost, 120 people gathered in an upper room and they were seeking God. The Bible says they came in one mind and one accord to seek God. And it said when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were gathered there and a, a sound from heaven came like a rushing mighty wind and it filled the room where they were sitting and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That very same day, Peter went out among the multitude. Now, these are the people that just days before he had denied that he knew the Lord, ran and hid. Now he's standing boldly in their presence. Why? Because Jesus says, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be a witness unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Here he stands in power. There were people there from all over the, the country. Jews that had come back to Jerusalem for this pilgrimage feast called Pentecost. And while Peter stood there, these men were looking at the disciples who were apparently doing something outwardly that appeared to be drunken men. 
Because they said, these men are drunk. And Peter stood and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the ninth hour. But this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel in the last days. Saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old men shall dream dreams and young men shall see visions. And he said, this gift, it's for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. And it's for as many as the Lord our God shall call. Folks, God wants you to have that prayer language. It is a special thing. Believe me, sometimes you just don't have words. You don't know what to say. And the Spirit of God in you can speak with groanings that cannot be uttered. A language that is not known to men. That is ridiculed ridiculed among the people of God in the church. And for the life of me, I can't understand it when the Bible is vividly clear and full of it. And besides that, on a little farm in Mechanicsville in 1974, I experienced that for myself. So they can say what they want to. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, it is the real thing, brother, as far as I'm concerned. Amen. And so sometimes praying in the Spirit is talking about praying in that prayer language. And he says to also to pray with perseverance and supplication. Now, some people have the notion that if you pray for something more than one time, then you didn't pray in faith the first time you prayed. And I have no idea where they got that from because they did not get that from the teachings of Scripture. Prayer, in fact, Jesus said, you ask and it will be given to you, seek and you should find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. And I've taught on this before. That is a progressive verb, which means ask and keep on asking. You knock and keep on knocking. You seek and keep on seeking. It's not a thing of I prayed one time and then I get up and it's like, okay, God, I prayed in faith, therefore you have heard my prayer and I know you're going to answer it and I will never mention it to you again. Because if I do, it shows the fact that I didn't pray in faith the first time. Nonsense. Because if that is the case, then Jesus didn't know how to pray. How many of you know that Jesus knew how to pray? Come on. I mean, hey, He is like our pattern, you know. We're supposed to be like Christ-like that's what Christian means, is to be like Jesus. And I would think that our Lord and Savior would know how to pray. Amen? Well, look at Mark chapter 14. Let's just look at how Jesus prayed. Verse 32. And they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And He taketh with Him Peter and James and John and began to... Uh, began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little, and fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. Everybody say that with me. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. All things are possible unto thee. 
Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. And he came and found them sleeping and said unto Peter, Simon, uh, sleepest thou? Could not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And verse 39, and again, everybody say again. Again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. Wait a minute. What's the matter, Jesus? Didn't you have faith the first time you prayed? I mean, according to the doctrine and teachings of some people today, apparently Jesus didn't have faith the first time he prayed. Now, how many of you know that is absolutely ridiculous? Of course he had faith the first time he prayed. And he prayed the same words. Verse 40, And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he came the third time. In other words, he'd gone off and prayed again, probably the same words, and came the third time and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. Lo, he that is betrayed is at hand. So we see in Scripture people praying more than one time. Paul said, Lest I be lifted above measure, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. He said, I besought the Lord three times. It's like, wait a minute, Paul, didn't you mean it the first time you prayed? Well, of course he did. And he prayed again, God, take this thorn away from me. Not gone. God, please take this thorn away from me. And God says, I'm not taking the thorn away from you. Well, that tells me something else. Sometimes God says no to your prayer. Amen? He said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. We see Daniel praying for 21 days. I see the children of Israel praying for 400 years without a prophet. I mean, they haven't heard anything for 400 years. And you see Jesus when He is born. We see a man named Simeon and a lady named Anna. Was it Anna? Hannah. Help me with that. Anna, I believe it was. Said they went to the synagogue. She was a widow woman. As a, uh, as a young woman. And instead of remarrying, she went to the synagogue and prayed every day. Every day. Over and over and over again. They prayed. And this was when... There was no prophet in the land until John the Baptist came on the scene. There was 400 years of silence. So we need to pray, he said, with perseverance. When you're praying for the saints and you don't see something happen, or you do, don't stop praying. I mean, keep praying. Amen? Anybody in here pray for the pastor? Amen. God bless your heart. Amen. Well, let's just stop a minute. Father, I pray for them, Lord. Right now in Jesus' name. That Lord, as we give, you said, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For this, as you give, the same thing shall be given unto you. And so Lord, I pray God, as we pray for other people, Lord, may that gift be increased in the hearts of others to rise up and lift us up in intercession and prayer, Lord. So God, as they pray for me and for other people, Lord, raise up saints of God that will pray for them and give back to them according to that gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So we're to pray uh, continually. We're to pray with um, perseverance. And then the last thing I want to talk about is he said to pray uh, using supplication. Uh, now, the word supplication, the definition of that is to ask for humbly and earnestly as by prayer. In other words, we need to approach God, and that's what I was talking about at the beginning of the service today, something that I believe God is speaking to us to be, be cautious about, is to approach Him with humility. This is something that has been ridiculed in many full gospel circles today. Again, I don't know why. Approaching God with humility. The excuse that is used with these people groups that, that for some reason... It seems they don't want to show respect to God. That will, and this is Scripture. I mean, they pull out Romans chapter 8, verse 14. If you want to read that with me, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Seems like I heard that before. Jesus prayed that, right? Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He says the same thing in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from the servant. Though, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we... When we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. One other place, Hebrews 4.16, they will go and says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now the people that advocate this irreverent approach to God is what I call it. They say things like, well, I used to be poor, but I'm not poor anymore. I am a child of the King." I used to be a beggar, but I'm not a beggar anymore. I am the child of a king. Therefore, I can come boldly to my daddy because whatever he has is mine. Because I am an heir of the Father. It's my inheritance. It belongs to me. The illustration that I've heard used is that when you come home, and I used to do this with our kids. They had these long pixie sticks. Anybody ever seen those? It's like a long straw and it's full of sugar. The worst thing in the world you can probably give your kids, but I didn't know that. They loved it. And I would go by and get those because it was like the only treat we could afford at the time. We're in Bible college. And they got to where they was looking to see if Dad was going to have some pixie sticks when he got home, you know. Well, sometimes you can hide stuff like that, candy and stuff, and you make a game out of it. And it's a good way to get some loving from your kids, you know. If you like loving for me, kids. How many smugglers in here? You like smuggling, yeah. And so you hide that, and the kids come in, and they climb up, and they start digging in your pockets. All right? Why? 
Because that's daddy. That's what the word Abba means. That's my Abba. That's my daddy. And that's the relationship we have with Abba. That's the relationship we have with daddy. If he's got it, I can have it. Right? Sounds good, doesn't it? (laughs) In other words, you don't come in and address him as father. Now, father is a little different. Father is when you come in and the kids are doing something. It's like, time for you to turn the TV off and go to bed, son. And they don't do it. It's like, boy, I told you to get in the bed. Now turn the TV off and get in the bed right now. See, that's a little bit different than Abba. That's the father. That's the authority. And he knows, brother, the hammer's getting ready to come down if I don't turn this TV off and get in the bed because father has spoken. Amen? So when Daddy, Abba, comes in and he's got something, you don't go crawling up to him saying, Oh, most holy and reverent Father, I come before thee as a beggar, pleading with thee, May I please have that candy in your pocket? And folks, all of that sounds good. And listen, there is an element of truth in all of that. Just as there is an element of truth in every error that we see in the church. We are the heirs of God. But let me tell you something about an inheritance. you got a room full of kids. The executor of the will decides who gets what. You don't go jerk it out of his pocket. Are you hearing me, folks? Yes, I'm an inheritance of his will. But why am I trying to jerk a million dollars and a new home and a jet airplane and a Cadillac out of his pocket when he's got a job for me in Africa and in Sudan? The Bible says if you pray according to the will of God, he hears you and answers your prayer. But the Bible also says we have not for we ask not because we ask amiss that we may heap it up on our own lust. And I have seen this era in the church where people don't approach God with reverence and respect and fear because they relate too much to Abba and not enough to Father. Yes, He's my dad. Yes, He wants to love on me and He wants to give me the treasures and gifts that He has for me. But I need to know what is mine and what is His to give me. And there is a difference. And we need to approach Him with reverence and respect. Psalms chapter 89 verse 7 says this. And this is what kind of generated our discussion Wednesday night. I thought it was really good. So I pointed it out, this, pulled it out this morning. It says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. And to be held in reverence of all them that are about him. And what happens too often in, in church settings is we become so familiar with God that He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And while that is true, He is still the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. And the Bible tells us that He is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints and that we are to approach Him with reverence. And so when we lose the awe of God, we lose that respect for Him. And sometimes we treat Him like our spouse. How many married folks in here have been married for a while? 
Don't raise your hand and don't elbow your husband when I say this. But how many of you has a spouse that don't treat you like they did when they was courting you? Huh? How many of you have a spouse that are nicer to strangers than they are to you? Why is that? This is the person you said, I'm going to love you, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to cherish you, I'm going to cleave to you, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. But yet you treat them like they're a second thought. Familiarity breeds contempt. I don't know who said that, but it's true. Does anybody know who originally said that? I don't either, but that was one smart somebody because it's true. Your grandma said that. (laughs) So I believe that one of our weapons is ineffective. Not because we don't pray, because we don't pray the right way. We don't approach God in the right manner. And I see see that happen in our church sitting right here sometimes. Because we come into the presence of God on on a wide spectrum. Some people come in irreverent. I mean, there are some people that actually sit in text messages while I'm preaching. I'm looking to see if anybody's putting their phone away real quick. Pass notes, whisper, talk. Well, see, not only is that disrespectful to me, the man of God, delivering the Word of God, but that's disrespectful to the Holy Spirit. It's disrespectful to the people around you. So some people come in irreverent, disrespectful. Other people come in on the other end of that spectrum with their minds set and focused on God, seeking God. We also learned in our study on Wednesday night that there's a difference between the omnipresence of God, that means He's everywhere all the time, and the manifest presence of God. Because God doesn't manifest His presence until you come into His presence with the right heart and the right attitude. And so you have people that come into the sanctuary, and you have some people like, they leave out like, I don't even believe God was even in that place. Man, I ain't felt the Spirit move in that place, and I don't know when. And the person sitting right beside them, the glory of God is just all over them. I mean, they felt His presence when they walked and drove onto the property. Why? Because God chose to reveal Himself to this one and that, not that one? Well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, that is part of it. But why? It has to do with how you approach Him. When we approach God with reverence and respect, it unleashes, I believe, and releases His manifest presence. So you have some people that are just getting blessed, and some people are like, man, that was dead. I don't know what's happened to that church. Because I had a guy tell me that one time. God just doesn't move here anymore. And I'm thinking, no, God doesn't move through you anymore. Because you're in bitterness and gall and unforgiveness and spite. I, I knew these things about this person. So I knew I knew what he was saying. Yeah, I understand. And I, you're absolutely right. You haven't felt the Spirit of God move in a long time in this church. But let me tell you something. It's not because God's not here. It's not because His Spirit is moving, because I can see it moving in the hearts of people, sometimes manifested in people. Not moving in you, because you need to repent and get right with God. It has to do with our attitude and our approach to God many times. And sometimes it can be the church itself. Sometimes it can be the pastor has gotten so far off track that he's brought that in and he's releasing that on the people. 
So, I mean, there's a lot of dynamics. It's not always a individual's fault. I mean, it can be a corporate thing. And I believe that's what God is trying to say to us, CBAG. Let's make sure that we, we show God the reverence and respect that He deserves and, and demands. Now, respect has, uh, has not been taught, I think, in society, which has caused a whole lot of this problem. And, and it's true. Uh, respect is something that is different today than when, when so many of you were small and children and when I was a child. Brother, I mean, talking about church. My mom's sitting here can testify to this. Now, I didn't squirm around. I didn't talk. God knows I didn't pass no notes and stuff in church. Because if I did, I knew what was going to happen. I was taught, you respect the house of God. You respect the atmosphere. Amen. Because I would get in her lap and be patting her on the face on the way home and say, Mama, I was your pretty boy today, wasn't I? And I knew I'd been mean as a two-headed snake. Uh, the girls put me up to it. Teenage girls. I was so cute. Well, ain't it true? They'd get me over there and let me dig through their pocketbook and give me chewing gum. But I'd be talking and laughing. Mama would be trying to get my attention. I wouldn't look at her. Boy, she got my attention when I got home, brother. I'm going to tell you. One time she got up and went and got me, picked me up, and I'm going down the hall. Said, Please don't whip me, Mama. Please don't whip me. The preacher stopped preaching. He said, Abby, about halfway down the aisle now, he said, Don't you hurt that boy. They said they could hear me screaming every lick. The whole church. She got out the door. She like, I thank you, Pastor King. Boy, you just brought the wrath of God down on me, boy. If you left her alone, it might not have been so bad. But if she hadn't have done that, where would I have been today? Huh? Rain that thing in, brother. The foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Amen. But the rod of correction will drive it far from them. Amen. I can teach you on that. That's not what I'm here to teach you on this morning. But maybe we ought to because we don't, te- we don't teach our kids respect. I'm not saying you, but I'm saying generally in the world today. Isn't it true? I mean, this happened somewhere back in the 60s, I think. Any, any old hippies in here that... I mean, didn't they teach you question authority? Huh? Challenge the establishment. What is that? Show disrespect. I don't care if they're right. I don't care if they've got it. I don't care if they're wearing a badge and the whole state of Virginia is backing them up. It's the authority. And you show him disrespect, you question him. And that was, that's been bred into our society. So that I go in the store today and I see kids talking to their mom. Our kids used to see it. We have kids come over to the house and they're up in our couch with their dirty shoes on. And Mama G, she'd look at the mama and she'd like, look at them, look at the mama. She's like, I'm going to give you a chance to deal with that, but that's my couch. And my kids are looking at it and like, and you can see the look on their faces like, we're not doing that, mama. We're not doing that. And they couldn't believe that those kids were doing that. Because they had no respect. Jenny's like, if you don't respect my house and my things, I, I'm not going to respect your feelings either, honey. Get your shoes out of my couch. Because your mama ain't going to spank your bottom. And you're in my house now, boy. Huh? We never spanked them, but they didn't know that, did they? When you, hey, man, why, why in the world is a three-year-old this big control a 150-pound adult? 
Folks, there's something wrong with that picture. I don't know how far I go with this, but I feel like I need to go a little further. I've been in a church setting where a three-year-old is controlling the whole church. And I finally, in love, I mean, just as tender as I could, I get the mom down. I'm like, look, when I'm preaching, you can't let your son run around on the pulpit. It's distracting me. It's distracting everybody. Making doors, uh, screaming, and just knocking stuff over. You wouldn't believe. Got to rein this in. I walk her through the Scripture and try to teach her how to raise this child. Because I'm telling you right now, if you can't control him at three, when he's 15 and smacking you down the floor, honey, you ain't going to be able to do nothing about that. And trust me, if you don't rein him in, that guy with that black robe on, with that gavel in his hand, he's going to rein him in. When he's peeping through bars, you're saying, oh my God, why did this happen to my son? It's your fault. Finally got through and and, and and it's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, lady, he's three years old. You don't ask him why. A three-year-old can't reason. He understands just, just do what the book says. I promise you it works. Amen? If it don't, let's just throw the thing away and we're not going to do nothing else that's in it. Hey. The promises of God are yea and amen. Amen? Picked him up and swatted him on his diaper. You stop doing that. I'm like, if you're giving massages, I'll take one. <laughs> A little more to the left, please. I better get off of that. But isn't it true? I mean, we don't teach respect anymore. And folks, it's filtered into the church. So that we don't respect authority. How are we going to respect God? He tells us in Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of these, you pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. The Romans 13 is actually talking about the, the police. Civil authority. But he's using that as an example of all authority. 
He's saying you've got to respect authority. Folks, now look, look this way and listen. You live in a small community. You may go to high school with some guy that is the biggest bonehead in the whole school. He gets out of school and somehow they give this guy a police uniform. And you know him. There's nothing about this guy that is worthy of respect. But brother, when he puts that uniform on, when he puts that badge on, and he pulls you over, and you know him, you know his history, you know what he did before he put that on, that doesn't matter. You respect that badge and what it represents. And if you don't, the Bible says you bring condemnation and judgment on yourself because He has authority. God is the same way. God has authority. and we must. I, I've belabored the point. Everybody got it? Say amen. amen. So when we lose respect as it pertains to prayer, our prayer becomes like reading a, a grocery list to God many times. Now, I'm not talking about legalism, and I want to be clear on this. Respect is not a rule to be followed. Because if you start saying, okay, all right, all right, all right, we're going to change things the way we do things here. When you come in this sanctuary, I don't want you talking to nobody. Bless God, this is the house of the Lord. You come in here, you show respect to God. Because if you don't, there are going to be some hushers in here. They're going to hush you. So then you've got these rigid applications of worship and they don't cause people to respect God. If you attempt to do this, all you're going to do is make people respect the rule. But they'll still ignore God. Because we see that. There are institutions today that we label as church and people come in and, brother, you can hear a pin drop on the floor. But they've been living in sin all week. And they're going to go in and do the little confession thing and say these little, recite these little things and get it all taken care of so they can go out and do the same sin again this week. What is that? There, there's no respect for God in that. They obey a rigid set of rules that tells you this is how you approach God. But they have no relationship with God or no respect for God. So you can't have legalistic, rigid rules and expect people to respect God because respect for God is a personal thing. It has to be something in your heart. And I believe that the church has somehow lost this in some way. Last, I want to read it one more time and then I'm going to close. It says in Psalms 89 verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence for all them that are about Him. So we need to relate to God as Father and not just as Abba. Last scripture, I want you to stand to your feet while I read this one. I've kind of gone a little bit long this morning. God told us in Second Chronicles chapter 7, He says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And I'll heal their land. So 
So when we look at the weapons of our warfare, we build it on truth. We've been made righteous with God. We've got the peace of God. We're prepared to share that with other people. We're walking in faith. We're renewing our mind by the Spirit. We're taking the sword of the Spirit so that we can rightly divide God's Word. And we are living our life in the Spirit, praying for all the saints. Folks, those are the weapons that God gave us so that we can stand in the evil day. And I've gone to a lot of length to show you that it is possible to live in victory. It's possible to live in victory. And every one of those things we can do and should do, and we are doing in many cases. And so if there's any one of those areas that you have come short in fulfilling. Don't give up ground to the enemy. Just cry out to the Lord. God, show me the area in my life that is incomplete. Lord, is there a hole in my armor somewhere? And if there is, Father, please reveal that to me. God, sometimes we just go through the motions. Even when we're trying not to, Lord, sometimes we find ourselves because we are habitual people, creatures of habit, tend to follow the easy path. And sometimes, Lord, we're not willing to just get down and say, God, whatever it takes. But Lord, that's where we where we're trying to get to. God, we're wanting to be perfected in you. So, Lord, as we finish this series today, God, help us to have the right spirit, Lord. To have the right heart, God. To have the right mind. And God, to have the strength and the power through you to execute the things that we have learned. God, I know we can do that because you said, Lord, that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. So, Father, I pray for every person that is listening to the sound of my voice here today. God, if this is come, someone is listening to this via the internet or the recording, whomever hears this, oh God, I pray, God, even right now that you just begin to minister to their spirit, because our reverence and our respect and our relationship with you, God, it's personal. And every person here, God, they need to know you. And God, let them know they can know you. God, that we many times have to approach you as the Father, Lord, with respect, with reverence, and with fear. But God, there are also those times that we can climb up and dig in Daddy's pockets put a smile on your face because you have a gift for us, God. Something special that you brought just for us. And you want us to have it, God. You just want some snuggle time with your kids. So God, I pray that every person will 
God, not just hear this, but they'll understand it, Lord, and they will know it themselves, God, that they can experience that. Lord, I've, I've been in your lap many times, God, digging through Daddy's pockets, Lord, and God, I want every person to know what that's like. God, I remember my good brother, Brother Glenn, when he was here and he shared what it's like and how he remembered climbing up in his dad's lap and he could smell his cologne and feel his bristly beard and how special that was and that relationship that we have with dad sometimes. And God, I pray that every person will know you in that way. God, maybe there's somebody here this morning, Lord, they didn't, they don't understand what I'm talking about. They didn't have a healthy relationship with their dad. God, I pray for your healing right now today, God, just to show them, Lord, your love like they've never received before. And Father, if there's any, any area in our life, God, that we need to just surrender to you, God, I pray that you reveal it right now, Lord Jesus. So that when we leave here today, God, we are in a right relationship with you physically, mentally, and spiritually. While you keep your heads back.